This episode of the Kipps Personal Trainer Application Podcast is brought to you by Time to Train Fitness, your home for on-demand workouts for every level of fitness. Exercise with amazing certified instructors that want you to push through any barriers. At Time to Train Fitness, you'll find quality workouts across six class formats, including indoor cycling, HIIT, bar, yoga, strength training, and dance cardio. Stream brand new classes releasing every week in our over 425 on-demand library. Use the code in the description to view all the membership options and to start a free five-day trial. Get ready to press play on your next workout. Welcome to the KIPPS Personal Trainer Application Podcast. My name is Tyler Valencia. I'm the president of KIPPS and Time to Train Fitness. We have a topic that I know a lot of people enjoy, yoga. We're going to talk about yoga, yoga in terms of our instructor, how she's been teaching it, what she's been doing, all this great stuff. Jen, thank you for coming on the podcast. Thank you so much, Tyler. A pleasure to talk with you always. Yes, yes. So we recently saw each other at a conference and just a little side note for our listeners. I was looking for somebody to come on this podcast, very short notice, and I'm scrolling through Instagram and boom, Jen, she's there. And I immediately emailed her. She was able to accommodate with such a short notice. If you're listening to this podcast, this is being recorded during the week of Thanksgiving and she made it happen. So very, very grateful for you coming on in that aspect. Thank you so much, Tyler. I I always think it's fun when it all works out just perfectly. Yes, agree, agree. So to kind of set the stage for the episode, can you share and give a little bit of insight into your background in the fitness industry? Absolutely. So I am a yoga instructor and yoga therapist, and I've been at it for, my goodness, I think maybe uh, about 15 years now. And uh, I don't know how many people share this sort of background, but before really jumping into yoga and practicing and then getting so excited about it to take yoga teacher training, I had approximately zero group fitness experience. I'm not (laughs) sure if I had been to more than one or two group fitness classes ever before Mm -hmm. I started practicing yoga. And so um, when I first dove in and started taking those yoga teacher trainings and telling people, hey, I'm going to be a yoga teacher, it was pretty funny because a lot of my friends and people who knew me were like, do you go to the gym? (laughs) (laughs) I had always been a runner before that. Mm -hmm. And um, so I, I wasn't quite as familiar with the gym environment, but I tell you what, that first time on the yoga mat really made a believer out of me and, and I followed it up not too much longer later with getting into that yoga teacher training. And so, uh, finished all of that up. I think I started around 15 years ago teaching and I've done probably quite a wide array. Like a lot of yoga teachers I've taught at the community center. I've taught at the country club. I've taught at the fitness center. I've taught at the yoga studio. So I've really kind of made the rounds. And of course, last year, like so many people, I added teaching online to the mix too. So uh, definitely been around the yoga mat, so to speak. <laughs> gotcha. Yeah, definitely. And That brings up a question that I feel like I always have to ask instructors these days is how has the last year worked with your business going online and learning all that kind of stuff that has to do with streaming or recording and basically putting your classes on something foreign to a lot of instructors? Yeah. You know, I I really feel like I had a little bit of a head start. I had, you know, like most people been on social media and 
here and there had posted short little videos or maybe some longer ones, but I had taken a few years back a video challenge and it was like a 30 day thing. And in this challenge, you had to post a video every single day in the group. Mm. It's all about getting comfortable in front of the camera and recording and things. And my biggest takeaway from that challenge was record it once. Mm. And so it really interestingly takes the pressure off when you think, oh, I'm going to hit record and that's going to be it. And maybe, you know, you edit out the dog barking in the background or something. (laughs) (laughs) But when you take away the pressure for it to be perfect and you think, oh, my gosh, I'm going to have to record this 12 times and it loses quality over time. Right. Mm -hmm, Every time mm -hmm. you say it again, it sounds more canned. And so um, I learned that pretty early on in my video content creation career, and that served me so well when everything went online last year because I didn't have a lot of fears and, and discomfort that quite a few people maybe started off with. And it was a fairly seamless transition for me to be able to teach live and then also record classes for sort of on-demand use. Um, and I found it to be a, a pretty easy transition. The biggest thing was I had to convert my extra room into something that looked a little bit you know, yoga studio esque mm-hmm. and, um, you know, clean paint on the walls and all that good stuff. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I mean, it was, it actually went pretty well for me. Oh, that's great. That's really great to hear. From a technology standpoint, did you invest in any microphones, anything like that? That's a super interesting question, Tyler. I had, I think it was sort of divine intervention. I had ordered a brand new computer. Hmm about three weeks before everything really shut down. Mm -hmm. And literally, it's a Mac computer. I literally had it picked up the last day the Apple store was open. Like it came in (laughs) and they called and said, your computer's in, but we're closing at the end of business today. Wow. (laughs) And so you got to get this computer. And so um, thankfully my husband ran over and grabbed it for me because I couldn't do it. Mm -hmm. And so I had a brand new computer, which was awesome. As far as microphones go, I tried so many. I tried an external mic. I tried, you know, sort of the earbud based microphone. I tried setting up a Bluetooth mic closer to my mat. Mm -hmm. And at least for me and my students, we found that using just the mic on the computer worked the best for us. Mm. It was less cumbersome for me. And they actually said they could hear me better with Mm -hmm. that microphone than any of the other ones. Hmm. It's fascinating. And that's something that I'm, as I'm working in the background um, outside of this podcast to put together a new tutorial, it's based off of microphones. And the one thing that is such a big section of this is that each format in terms of group formats is different. The requirements are different. The movements are different. Mm-hmm. And the one that immediately pops into my mind is yoga. There is a a handful of bent over positions right. where you are hinging forward or bending over from the spine. And that's one of those positions that really you don't want to do with a microphone on because you don't want your mouth to be right over that microphone. And so that just yeah. popped into my head as you were talking about it, because I could see that being something that if you're wearing a lav mic, you would just have to be extra cautious of it or find a way to essentially tell your students, I'm going to be doing this with my neck, but you should be like this because it's mm-hmm. it's one of those things where 
at in one of my, my other business, uh, time to train fitness. That's that a position that I really try to tell instructors, try your best to be cautious about it. Don't put your mouth as close as you, as you can when it, just be cautious about where it is when right. you're doing these movements. So it's really interesting. Uh, I'm learning right that in right now about that. I'm just like, okay, that makes sense. Um, yeah. with yoga specifically. You know- the the um, earbud style, and I tried two or three different kinds, kind of a similar problem. Uh, if you go upside down, they're built mm. to hang in your ear with gravity. Mm. And so unless it hooks over your ear, at least for me, every time I turned upside down, that thing hit the floor. <laughs> so that's inconvenient for me because now I have to pick it up and put mm-hmm. it back in my ear, but it's also not great for everybody listening. Cause then they have to listen to being dropped on the floor. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah. With uh, your teaching space. That's always one of the things I like talking about because it's, um, I think sometimes you get a little pushback from people say, Oh, I can't do this with, with my house or I can't do X, Y, Z with, your spare bedroom turning it into a recording space. Mm-hmm. What were some of the things that you felt were um, for your, for yoga specifically that, okay, maybe this color would be better for the background flooring wise. Were, was that any part of the process? Absolutely. Uh, there were a couple of things that really went into consideration and it was a learn as I go kind of thing. You know, I'd mm-hmm. record a video and then I'd watch it back and be like, Oh, <laughs> that's going to have to be addressed. <laughs> and uh, one of them was at least for the wardrobe I have a lighter wall color was better because more of my clothing has color and or yes. dark. Mm-hmm. And so that made it easier. You know, if I, if I had, I did sort of a neutral, um, you know, kind of a grayish color, a little bit, a little bit beige, a little bit gray, mm-hmm. because if it was just the white that the wall was, that didn't work well on the days I did have on a white shirt. Cause then I kind of looked like I had a floating head, <laughs> <laughs> but, on the, <laughs> but if I painted it too dark, then, you know, the more medium and dark toned clothes would just fade right in. And so I found because so many people are visually based for yoga, and I'm sure a lot of formats, the medium light wall color worked the best for me. And then um, also to provide a little bit of depth perception, I ended up putting uh, just like, you know, a silk, I think it's a bamboo tree over in the corner because it helped provide a little bit of depth to the room. So it was easier to see the times when I was closer or farther away um, with my arms or, you know, mm-hmm. with my leg stands or whatever, because there was something there helping to provide that depth perception. And then the other really big thing had to do with the back kind of back to the microphone, but it had to do with the sound quality and the echo in the room. Cause I thought for sure, Oh, a blank room is going to be the best, right? Oh no, not at all. <laughs> it, you could actually hear my voice bouncing off the wall. So what I ended up doing was getting a big eight by 10, pretty inexpensive rug um, Mm -hmm. and put that on the floor. And then I got um, those blackout curtains that are pretty heavy and Mm -hmm. backed. And those did two things. It really helped to break up the sound in the room, but it also helped to deaden any outside noise because sometimes, you know, you get a car driving by or um, whatever. And it really helped with that too. And then the last piece was I ended up getting a pressure rod and just a fairly um, medium weight curtain to put across the closet door opening mm-hmm. because that was directly across from where my voice was if I was facing the camera. And so I needed that little bit extra fabric to um, create 
create a situation where my voice felt ambient and live without feeling echoey and overpowered. Great tips right there. Really solid. I think those were things that people don't really realize with mm-hmm. recording or even in a bedroom. Leave it to say like your own home bedroom, that if you were to take all that, all your, your bed out, your couch, if you have on your desk, your room, would, even if it's small, it would be echoey. And yeah. just putting in a couch, a bed, all that stuff absorbs sound. As I'm recording this podcast behind where I'm sitting and behind my monitor is sound absorbing tiles yeah. because I don't want my voice bouncing off of the room that I'm in. And it's one of those things that people don't think about those. But the one thing I would say is like, if people are like, oh, I don't want sound tiles or I don't want a, a curtain in where I'm filming, uh, they're thinking that it's going to be picked up. What people don't see in front of their camera, they don't know. Exactly. If you, could, you could literally have uh, so some insight into where I record and where I work in my office is my desk and where I record some of the videos that some people see on YouTube. And then directly to the right of it is a filming space. Mm-hmm. And it almost looks like it's a gym because what people don't know behind the camera is that it's just a filming space that I made that looks to make it look like it's inside of a gym. But that's the beauty of filming. Filming from home is you can turn a space into something that people would not even expect. And the one thing that you threw in there that is part of a new tutorial that I made on filming spaces is picking a neutral color for the paint. And I love what you mentioned about your clothing because that's something that I heard somebody else say pretty recently is if you're wearing certain leggings or you wear a certain color all the time, pick something that's not going to, that you're not going to blend into. So I think that's a great tip right there as well that you don't really think about. Yeah, you really don't until you watch it back. And then all of a sudden it becomes evident. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. One of the last thing that you mentioned there that I kind of want to go deeper into is how to watching back. Because I feel like that's actually one of the pieces of going online that instructors don't do or they need to do more of because you learn so much from watching yourself. I know that's hard sometimes to watch or listen to your voice or to see what you're doing because you might be overly critical in terms of what you're looking at. Oh, why did I say that? Why do I do that? But from a learning standpoint, you can learn about your background, your positioning, and mm-hmm. essentially notes. What were some of those pieces that you learned other than the background about yourself in teaching online? Oh, my goodness. I mean, you're exactly right. Um, so, Pre-fitness, my background was actually in vocal music education. So I used to teach high school choir back in the day. And having gone through college as a vocal education major, I had already spent countless hours listening to myself on tape. Tape. I'm going to, I'm dating myself. (laughs) It actually was cassette tapes then. Um, and so it's kind of funny when I listen to myself on a recording now, it doesn't sound funny to me anymore. So I've really spent my time. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I know what I sound like uh, on recording. (laughs) So I was already used to that part, but I hadn't spent as much time on video. And so, like you said, I learned a whole bunch of stuff, like, Mm -hmm. um, certain facial expressions that I didn't realize I made quite Mm. often as almost the same sort of filler as saying the word, um, Mm -hmm. You know, I would do some things facial expression wise that I didn't even know I was putting in there mm-hmm. and other things too, like listening back and taking your own class. 
which meant most of us have probably never done before, mm-hmm. um, you learn a ton about your own pacing. Yeah. And maybe um, when you're cueing it, you get into your head about it and you're thinking about, oh, wow, this posture is great. I really love it. And so you have a pretty long pause before the next thing you say out loud. And maybe you never realized you did that before and mm-hmm. think, oh, wow, I'm really leaving my students hanging there for quite a while. <laughs> Or you may realize, wow, I never shut up, do I? (laughs) (laughs) A little space wouldn't be the worst thing. And so it is really eye-opening. And one of the things that I tell my students um, who take yoga teacher trainings from me, and also I really try to listen to my own advice, is you don't know what you know until you know it. Mm -hmm. And so instead of beating myself up for talking too much or not enough or the weird facial expression. Well, I didn't know that before, but I know Mm -hmm. it now. So now I can do something different and change uh, my teaching for the better. And there's no reason to get all caught up in a big judgment game. It doesn't matter what I've done for the last 15 years, even if something new has come into my awareness and I'd like to change it, I think it'd make my teaching better. Then let's just go. It's just the next step. Yeah. I love it. I I really like that approach, that mental approach, and to share a little side from <laughs> with podcasting and, and whatnot. When I first started podcasting, I like how you talk about your filler word or when you're thinking. Mine used to be, you know, I would say, you know, a ton. Mm-hmm. And with podcasting and this being a recording, what I did, since I'm the host, I'm the one that edits it, is I cut every single time that I said, you know, out of the out of my first episodes. And I, I went through it. I'm like, oh, my goodness. I said, you know, so many times. And to try to f- combat that in the future, what I essentially figured out is that I just need to slow down. I need to slow down a little more. And when you're recording, you think, really? I, sl- I should slow down? That that might be weird if I'm sounds like I'm talking slow. And it doesn't because you're still going at a normal pace. You're just slowing yourself down and pacing yourself. Like, like you said, you're pacing yourself, which you learn from listening back and trying to figure out how can I make this better? Where can I improve? Instead of thinking, oh, why did I say that? I'm, I'm so dumb and beating yourself up. Figure right. out ways to problem solve it. Figure out the solution for it, which in terms of internal growth, but also it's something that's going to benefit your students. And what I've heard from countless instructors that are still teaching online and live is that doing online and that whole process of growing, learning about it and trying to improve a class is that it made their teaching in person much better. Did you find that for yourself as well? Absolutely. I did. And kind of to piggyback on what you were saying there, Because if we're doing this recording, we're offering it online because people may have a harder time seeing maybe the computer Mm. is at the end of the yoga mat or kind of over to the side. You can only make the video so big unless you're hooking it up to a TV, which some people do, but it may be difficult to see the poses. So people are forced to rely more on the verbal cues. Right. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so. I learned kind of the same thing. Slowing down really helps because when we hurry through a cue, it's hard to catch it all when you're listening, especially for the first time. And so when we are a little bit more deliberate with our wording and also a little slower with our pacing, people don't have to wonder what we just said because it's really clear. Mm -hmm. 
And so in that respect, I learned that I was, well, I realized I was doing it online. And then when it came time to go back into the yoga studio or, or to the fitness center, I realized that naturally now I was speaking more slowly. And I also noticed as a result, the people in person were spending less time kind of craning to see around the person in front of them, what to do, or what did I just say? Because <laughs> mm-hmm. I said it better to begin with. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, I think it made me a much stronger um, instructor in that I think more about what I'm getting ready to say, how mm-hmm. important is it? And to say it really clearly, because we don't need a bunch of filler. And I think it's easy to do that more. Yeah. It's, it's easier to do that in person than it is on video uh, and not realize it's happening. Yeah. Yeah. The example that one of my instructors with Time to Terrain had mentioned was with cycling, she's a cycling instructor. She found that she didn't necessarily, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? She didn't necessarily need to use music as a filler as much in person with online. She was constantly talking through things, providing motivation, Mm -hmm. making the class more entertaining. And all that translated over to in person where typically, you know, you can just crank up the music in a spin room and you're going after, you're having a good time and people are, oh yeah, this is great. You can use it as a filler, but now she's cueing better. She's engaging more with people in classes. And I feel like that's something that it's such a a positive way to look at how online has improved your in-person and people have just grown tremendously through that. I I feel like it's such a great thing to to look back at a situation where so many instructors had to switch what they were doing, try to figure something out. And now fast forward a year and a half later and people learn more, grew more, making more money. And it's such a positive outlook in my mind, all this kind of stuff. Now, something I do want to transition to and to try to, it's along the same lines is from a prior podcast, I know that I believe you were a teacher, correct? Uh-huh. And that, and we had briefly chatted about some of the things in terms of uh, transitioning to the fitness industry and being in front of audiences. And um, I think, I know we, we joked about it before, but I'm trying to remember the conversation. Or did you, do you feel like teaching, being in front of an audience that helped with going into yoga and kind of growing in that area? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I really think that all of our experiences just build one on top of the other. Mm -hmm. Um, But you're right. I did have a lot of experience in front of audiences. I was in a band for a while and Mm. done quite a bit of um, speaking and different things along the way as well. And all of those things really lead into feeling comfortable, into learning how to think on your feet. I mean, Mm -hmm. I know every single instructor ever at some point has finished the plan they had in mind, the sequencing they had in mind, looked at the clock and thought, oh my gosh, what am I going to do for the next 25 minutes? (laughs) (laughs) And you have to be able to think on your feet to do it, right? I mean, Mm -hmm. um, it takes a little bit of presence of mind and it's a pretty easy problem to solve. You just start back at the beginning of the similar section and do it again. And people love to practice things a second time. Then, you know, oh, I understand what that pose is. And I'd like to practice it again. The body's warmer. It's ready to stretch a little deeper or strengthen a little more. And it ends up being an excellent opportunity 
in something that maybe it'd be easy for us to judge ourselves as an instructor, like, oh my gosh, why didn't I pace that better or whatever? Well, okay, so we live and learn, but we take all of those tools, whatever it is, you know, maybe it's tools from the corporate world, maybe, you know, it's problem solving and strategizing or taking written communication and learning how to transfer those same ideas into really effective verbal communication. So Mm -hmm. uh, whatever, whatever the past has been really lends itself towards us being better and stronger and unique in our own way now. I love it. I love that outlook. And I'm going to admit something right now on the podcast that (laughs) (laughs) it's a small joke, but I don't know much about yoga. (laughs) I will admit right now. I don't know much and uh, not to get too much into it. And part of it is I had a bad experience uh, when I take a yoga class. And every time I tell people, they say, well, you got to give another shot. And I just never have. And um, the reason I bring that up is that when we were setting this episode up, you mentioned three things um, about part how you would come on the episode and the approach that you would bring to it. And I don't, I honestly, I don't know the difference. And the ones that you mentioned were yoga therapist, yoga trainer, or yoga teacher. Can you enlighten me as well as explain to our audience, what what are the difference between those three? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, for most people starting out getting into the yoga world, the first thing you're going to do is become a yoga teacher. And maybe that's it. That's what you want to do. And that's, um, that's the goal. And there are two different levels of training for yoga teachers. There's a 200 hour training level, and then there's a 500 hour training level. And it, that the hours have to do with how many hours of training you have. So a 200 hour teacher training program is 200 hours, including in-person or um, contact with a master trainer, as well as the outside study. And then the 500 indicates exactly the same thing, 500 hours either uh, mostly in contact with a master trainer and then the the accompanying study and reading to go along with it. Mm -hmm. So that's being a yoga teacher and that either one of those is going to allow you to be able to teach yoga in a variety of places, a community center, fitness center, a yoga studio, um, gyms, all of those kind of places are going to be willing to take either one 200 or 500 by and large. And there's always exceptions, of course, but that's the general the general way that works. And then I also later on down the road became a yoga trainer. So I teach for yoga fit training systems and I'm a master trainer for them. And each yoga school has its own criteria for how you would become a master trainer. So I won't dive too much into detail about that um, other than if it's something that sounds interesting to our listeners to become one of the people who helps teach people how to become yoga teachers, um, then you would want to look into the school that you'd like to teach for and find out what their criteria are. And one of the biggest gifts I think about being a trainer that speaks to me is that whole ripple effect, right? When I throw my rock into the water here as a yoga teacher, I affect, you know, the six, eight, 10, 12, 20 people who are in the room. Uh, But when I throw that same yoga rock into the water at a yoga teacher training, it's now to six, eight, 10, 12, 20 people who are going to be yoga teachers who are going to then throw their own rocks. And so Mm -hmm. that whole big ripple effect is very compelling to me. And then the third piece, the yoga therapy piece, that is um, a certification and it's essentially the same 
or similar number of hours if you were going to get your master's degree in something. So it's a 900 hour program that you go through. And there's a few schools that you could do that here in the U.S. And um, what you study then is yoga, of course, but then how yoga techniques can be used to support the healing of all kinds of different types of disease in the body and the mind. So perhaps it's um, yoga to support the healing and recovery from a traumatic event, or perhaps it's to support a cancer journey, or maybe it's even uh, more of a physical therapy type of approach using yoga um, post-surgery, post-injury, post-lengthy uh, time in a sedentary lifestyle for whatever reason. So really building like a functional sort of strength and mobility for people who are in a recovery sort of phase. Um, it could even be supporting things like um, diabetes or, I mean, the list is just so extensive. It's kind of mind blowing, but there is a ton of research and a lot of people practicing yoga therapy to uh, be able to help people in this way. And some of the most powerful things about it are um, some different clients I've had who say, well, you know, I did all of the the therapy or the recovery or the, whatever my doctor described, but I still don't feel 100% like myself again. And since it's on my dime now, I'm going to pick what I want. And I heard that yoga therapy is awesome. And this is what I want to do. And I think where the, the huge benefit to yoga therapy lies is it is very holistic. It takes into consideration the five layers of our body, our physical body, our subtle energy body, our emotional body, our mental intellectual body, and then our bliss body and, and works with all five layers. So if you're working with a yoga therapist and you say, I need help recovering from this knee surgery, that yoga therapist is going to be like, awesome. Here's some great ways to address strengthening and rebuilding the mobility in the knee joint, but also going through something like that affects all our other layers of ourself too. So let's shore up the support for the subtle energy body. And let's also look at how that's taken an emotional toll. And can we bring some support there? Let's use these different techniques to support that. And then even the mental intellectual body, um, maybe this has caused us as a, um, you know, someone who's just had a knee surgery to really be thinking through some things and reevaluating our life and things like that. And that sort of hard emotional work can take its toll too. So how are we going to give the mind some rest? So you see a yoga therapist, you really get so much more than maybe you realize from the outset. Cause I'm sure a lot of people think, well, if I go to a yoga therapist, are we just going to own for an hour or like, what's the deal? <laughs> <laughs> like, no, it's actually a lot of super practical, usable, implementable, if that's a word, tools <laughs> <laughs> to use to really support whatever is happening in your life right now. Very fascinating. Very fascinating. Thank you for sharing that. And a question that I have now in terms of uh, yoga certifications in general, mm -hmm. is there like a, we'll call it a overarching accreditation for yoga certifications, like with personal training certification, there's accreditations, but that's really, I'll say the one that's, I don't want to call it uh, supervised or uh, that's the one that mostly gets accreditation because some other ones maybe do, but does yoga kind of have anything like that? Indeed. Um, there is an organization called the Yoga Alliance. 
Mm. They're the ones who kind of keep tabs on um, yoga schools. You know, this, these are the criteria for a yoga school to offer a 200 hour training program or a 500 hour mm-hmm. training program. Well, actually it's, it's 200 plus 300 equals 500. So you'd have a 200 hour training program or a 300 hour training program. And the yoga Alliance sets the criteria. Okay. All of these elements, these yoga postures, these anatomy skills, this yoga philosophy, um, the, additional practices of yoga beyond postures. And there's seven more things in there besides just yoga poses. And they're the ones who say, okay, this is what needs to be in a 200 hour program and a 300 hour program. And then um, as far as for teachers is concerned, if once you have completed your teacher training program, what, wherever you do that, then you would submit your completion certificate to the yoga Alliance to be registered then as an RYT, a registered yoga teacher. Mm. And um, then that is your personal uh, registration that you keep up. And it's much like a lot of the fitness uh, certifications uh, where you have continuing education that needs to be completed and demonstrating hours of teaching as far as experience goes and things like that. Hmm, very fascinating and learned another thing right there. I've seen <laughs> people have the R RYT in front of their um, their hours, I think it is. And I didn't know. I really didn't know right there. So despite being in the industry for over 10 years, I never knew that. So very <laughs> enlightening me in that area. Um, so um, as we get now to the podcast takeaways, this is the opportunity that really to share some advice and the part that probably if, uh, if you're a continuing listener to this podcast, you've heard me tell the story a million times. And hopefully by now you've watched the documentary where I, where I got this from. Um, but essentially a gentleman was asked, about three myths about Ironman training. And he, this was on Twitter and he answered it. And I was like, oh, that'd be great to ask people on the podcast. So Jen, what are three myths about the fitness industry? Well, can I answer that about yoga specifically? Yeah, anything you want. <laughs> <laughs> um, I would say one of the very first ones is you don't have to have it all together to be a yoga teacher. You know, a lot of times we look at our yoga teachers like the person who is always emotionally balanced and never stressed out because a lot of times yoga teachers create these amazing environments that help us as students to feel that way. But the truth of the matter is um, just like how hairdressers are changing their hair all the time. <laughs> a lot of times what draws people to be yoga teachers is because they're looking for that same thing. And so we don't have to achieve perfection to step on the mat at the front of the room. We just have to be working on it showing up for our own practice helps us to create that environment where other people can experience that release of stress, that um, self-care time in the middle of their day or week. And so I think, you know, we can let go of that myth that we have to already have achieved some sort of (laughs) enlightenment state to be a yoga teacher. Um, And let's see here, another myth uh, oh, that we don't have to be able to do all of the pretzeliest poses to be able to <laughs> either. <laughs> mm-hmm. In fact, really, to be able to teach an effective yoga class, what's most important is to understand, you know, how the body works, of course, and even as important as that is understanding the importance of creating a space where people understand they have their own agency, where we're not 
telling people you have to do this pose, you have to put your leg here and your arm there, but instead, you know, here's what we're looking for. We're looking to build strength in the hips or mobility in the shoulders. Here's a pose that addresses that. And here are some options that um, illustrate sort of, you know, different ways where we can get to that, that are going to feel comfortable. So in a, in a yoga posture, we should feel challenged yet successful at the same time. So rather than going all the way to ouch or hanging out and, oh, this is easy. I don't want to do yoga because it's I never get anything out of it. We want to find that sweet spot where we feel a little bit of both, like check it out. I feel so strong here. And I also recognize I'm honoring my body and taking care of myself. So we don't have to be able to demonstrate any particular pose or even do any particular pose. The more important thing is understanding how to create that environment where people can practice their practice with safety and support. Um, and then the third one, let's see, Tyler, you're making Last me one. my brain. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> oh, I know um, that we don't have to teach like any other teacher. Mm-hmm. You know, there are some amazing teachers that we probably all could name off five of and have agreement on at least three of them because they're well known for what they've brought to the practice and how, you know, they've helped to revolutionize or bring some truth out that that's really resonated with a lot of people, but we don't have to be that teacher or that well-known to bring the truth and the practice of yoga to those six people, eight people, 10 people that are standing right in front of us. And so it doesn't have to be crazy, um, you know, popular Instagram teacher to be a really, really great teacher. We can bring the lessons we've learned on our own mat and the study that we've done and have a super positive impact with the people who are sitting right in front of us. I love it. That last one is the one that I'm going to give my input on because I like that one. I like that approach to it, but the the piece that I'm going to expand on is about watching others, but taking what you can to learn from it. That's mm-hmm. a piece of advice that I've given to instructors is about watch people from different parts of the industry. If you are an instructor new and you want to learn more about teaching a squad or teaching different items within a, a class, Go out and watch people from different aspects, an athletic trainer, a strength coach, a physical therapist, a entry-level trainer. They're all going to have different perspectives on something as general as a squat. So learn what you can and don't necessarily copy them. Make it your own. That's the piece that I think an evolution of an instructor is that they can go out, they can watch, but don't necessarily copy. You don't have to be that person, just how you said, don't have to be them make it your own. I think that's where we see a lot of growth for instructors and taking that next step for themselves and being able to separate those, the Instagram, social media instructors to reality, being able to separate them, be able to apply it. That's all great stuff there. Jen, thank you so much. Before we sign off on this episode, can you provide your social media links where people can find you and potentially any upcoming uh, classes, anything like that? Absolutely. You can find me at Jen Tarrant Yoga on Facebook, on Instagram, on LinkedIn. 
and on YouTube. Uh, I'm all of those places. And I do actually have a course coming up. It starts December the 6th and it's an online course. So no matter where you are, you can totally join in on this one. It is called Holiday Peace, three weeks for stress reduction through yoga, meditation, and more. And I'm very excited about it because it is easy to get overwhelmed in the holidays and having that scheduled time each week to say, you know what, this hour is for me. I need this to keep my stress in check and to take care of myself and to be in community with people who are positive, encouraging, and supportive. And so it's going to be a Zoom online format and we'll get together each week and I'll also do, you know, some full yoga practices in there too. Um, it's going to be a great time of recharging in the middle of it all. <laughs> so you it. can find all the details for that um, right on my social media pages and links to register. Great stuff. Great stuff. Thank you again for coming on the podcast, sharing some things and even teaching me throughout it about yoga. I love it. Thank you so much, Tyler.